Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. In 1959, we were the largest number of blacks ever admitted to Harvard. This podcast is about being black in America for over 80 years. It is Friday, December 22nd, 2000. 23. Coming up, the IDF is hiding its military casualty figures. Plus, Caitlin Johnston writes that at this point, we have to always assume Israel is lying until proven otherwise. We begin with the IDF hiding its casualty figures. How how exactly, like, what are the mechanisms uh, that Israel is using here, you know, in their attempt to substitute an image of victory for the Israeli army? I, I know that Abdel Jawad touched on it a little bit, but but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, this it, it's part of a multi-pronged strategy. And one of the other elements of that strategy has been to, um, to, in, to exaggerate their successes um, and to downgrade um, or, or completely censor their failures. And so we've been following on this show for two months about the situation about Israeli casualties. And we've been saying, we've been careful about it because we don't want to speculate, um, but we've been saying carefully that this that the videos that we've been watching clearly don't match to the injury reports. Um, and I've been doing that since the beginning of this war, attempting to figure out which Qassam field report matches to which Israeli soldier uh, was killed. And that was impossible. And Israel did that as part of a campaign um, to hide their information. And they're able to do that because they have a military censor. And so every uh, story published in Israel is put through the IDF censor. So it doesn't get published until the IDF says it's okay. And the IDF didn't say it was okay. And so for the first two months of the war, um, nobody in Israel talked about that, uh, probably in part because it was censored if you did talk about it. But this past week, we've seen uh, reporting by Haaretz, uh, Israel's leading liberal um, daily, where, it, where you could tell by the way that they're reporting that they were pushing the IDF's hand um, to start properly reporting casualties. For people who haven't followed along, the IDF has not released any tallies. They don't have any, they never say 75 soldiers have been killed in the ground invasion. They never say a number of injured, um, injured and deaths combined as casualties. So they've been systematically covering up uh, those numbers. But because they're covering it up, we haven't, we weren't able to see um, how that process was working. But now we do, because this week Haaretz um, apparently pushed um, the IDF um, to, to release this, uh, the casualty information. And in the process of releasing this casualty information, Haaretz wrote this story um, that talked about how in every single hospital in Israel, there's a 24-7 IDF monitoring of the hospital communications to ensure that no information was released. And this goes not just for numbers of injured, but anything that was considered to be suggestive of that. So for example, they weren't reporting how many helicopters landed on their roof. 
um, because that kind of information would be suggestive of the type of injuries and the number of injuries that are coming. So before this week, we had no information on that. On Yom Kippur, which is an annual tradition in Israel, um, the defense ministry celebrates everyone who's died in wars um, defending Israel. And they put out the number back at the beginning, that was like late November. They put the number out as 2,000 people, 2,000 soldiers had been injured um, since October 7th. And so Haaretz, um, in before that, at, that number was not acknowledged by the IDF. The spokesperson was not giving that as a number. And we know that um, the number that they were uh, of, of injured just from October 7th, because a lot of people have been trying to find out what the casualty rate is for the ground war, because Israel has covered up the ground war casualty rate. Um, and so Haaretz pushed this. And in, in doing so, they revealed a number of things that have been going on behind the scenes that we didn't hear about, namely that doctors in these hospitals in Israel were starting to push back against this censorship because they had very stringent restrictions on what they were allowed to say. Um, and these doctors were upset about it um, because they believed that they're heroes, that the soldiers are heroes, that they're heroes for healing the soldiers. And they wanted to be part of this kind of national um, discussion about um, this war that everybody's um, involved with in Israel, right? 350,000 troops called up. Um, the hospitals play a significant part in this, they believe, and they want to tell the story of these injured soldiers. And until, what are we, 14 December, uh, until 12 December from a war that started in October, they systematically covered up those numbers. And even still, the number that they released um, that we saw just from that headline, they released a number around 1,500 that have been that have been injured since October 7th. So that includes October 7th. Um, but the second half of that headline you see there, but hospital data is much higher. So in the push that Haaretz was doing to get the IDF to release the information, Haaretz went around to each hospital in Israel and each hospital categorizes soldier uh, injuries. That's part of the process that they've done for the state of Israel since the beginning. This is all new for this war. Previously, there was tallies. I mean, normally in any wire story, that the tally of the of fatalities is something that would be included in every um, in every wire story, right? At the bottom, this many Palestinians have been killed, this many Israelis have been killed. Um, but that had not happened um, until this week. And so Haaretz um, got the data from the hospitals um, themselves. And if you see the numbers just from those hospitals, um, Ashkelon alone, which is the closest hospital to the Gaza Strip, according to Haaretz, this is as of last week's data, according to Haaretz, Ashkelon alone has 1,900 and 49 casualties. So 500 more than the IDF says total, because now the IDF is acknowledging a number, but even that number that they're reporting is a fraction of the number that the hospital data shows um, at each of these hospitals. Let me give you a couple more examples. Beersheba, which is the second closest hospital, it's a thousand itself. So just those two hospitals right there are double the number that the IDF is claiming. And then there's, those aren't, you know, then there's the Tel Aviv hospitals where people who are seriously injured go to. 
um, and those numbers are 700. So just from those three examples, and then there's dozens of hospitals all over Israel that have casualties in them as well. So we see on the one hand, um, you know, using sexual violence uh, as a tool to, to rob masculinity on the one hand to paint a picture of victory. And then on the other hand, you're hiding your stories of what's happening to your soldiers. And that's that has been percolating um, just under the surface in Israel. Um, I was listening to the IDF spokesperson doing a Twitter space the other day, and somebody phoned into the Twitter space and said to him, straight up, why are you covering up? He said his his uh, he was the uncle of a, a soldier who fought, a captain who fought. Um, and, and he didn't understand why Israel wasn't telling the truth about their casualties, um, with the idea being that you're not telling stories of heroes. You're not creating an image of victory. You're not creating something that we can take back to our people that describes a sacrifice that was made um, for this devastating defeat that happened on October 7th that's put the, their, a lot of core beliefs of their country into question. Um, and people, some people in Israel believed that that should be part of the fight back to what happened on October 7th, that you celebrate your heroes. So this is the first week of the war, um, now seven weeks in, that this has happened. And you can see it happening in a structural way. Um, the chief of staff, Halevi, he went to the rehab hospital yesterday and did a photo op with injured soldiers. Nobody has talked about injured soldiers in the IDF for this whole war. Um, and he went and did um, this campaign. <clears throat> we'll probably talk about it more later in the show when we talk about Shujaia. But um, as Abdel Jawad said, that Golani um, unit that got hit in Shujaia the other day, they came out and described in detail what happened to their fighters. That's a first time. That hasn't happened. And so what we've seen, and we talked about it a couple shows ago, uh, it does seem, though, that Israel came out of the pause, out of the fighting pause, and got basically feedback from their focus groups on what has to be done to build an image of victory that allows you to withdraw from this war um, with some semblance of at least operational legitimacy, because we know they've lost moral legitimacy. Um, and so they they want to have some kind of symbol of victory. And for the Israelis, because they don't have the operational or moral uh, legitimacy to fall back on, their principal warfighting strategy is to stay alive. Um, and we've seen that in every, in part of the, the brutality of the massacres in the Gaza Strip is cowardice. It's cowardice of their soldiers who don't want to go and risk themselves. Um, and so Israel believes that the, um, and you can see it by this whole story, that they believe operational success is synonymous with low casualties, which is, um, you know, completely separate from the concept of uh, defeating a guerrilla group that's embedded under the ground with tens of thousands of fighters who you are very clearly not going to fight under the ground. Caitlin Johnstone writes that at this point, we have to always assume 
Israel is lying until proven otherwise. Her piece is read by Tim Foley. At this point, we have to always assume Israel is lying until proven otherwise. Notes from the Edge of the Narrative Matrix. Israel is killing journalists at a historic rate, is killing an unprecedented number of journalists, and is starving half a million civilians while raining military explosives on a giant concentration camp. No part of this is complicated. No part of this is two-sided. On Tuesday, Israel killed a Palestinian baby girl who was born during the IDF bombing campaign on Gaza. They've been killing children so aggressively for so long now that they're starting to kill children who were born after the child killing began. 17 days. Alamira Aisha got 17 days on this planet before being crushed to death by an Israeli airstrike on her home in Rafah, alongside her two-year-old brother Ahmed and 25 others who'd been living in the same apartment building. She never knew a day of peace. A Washington Post investigative report into Israel's attack on Al-Shifa Hospital has found that the evidence presented by the Israeli government falls short of showing that Hamas has been using the hospital as a command and control center. The Post reports it came to this conclusion after analysis of open-source visuals, satellite imagery, and all of the publicly released IDF materials. At this point, the default assumption of any thinking person should be that all claims made by Israel are lies, until proven otherwise by mountains of rock-solid evidence. The belief that Israel is trying to avoid civilian casualties is based on literally nothing. It has no evidentiary basis whatsoever. People believe it because they want to. Because believing it is more emotionally comfortable than facing the obvious reality. There are two aspects to the war on journalism over Gaza. The first is a highly concentrated assault in Gaza itself, where journalists are actively being assassinated. And the second is a worldwide assault, where journalists who don't follow the official line are being purged. It's so weird watching Western rightists babble about how barbaric they think Muslims and their culture are while Western culture amasses a mountain of 10,000 child corpses in Gaza. When you see how effective the Houthis have been at using Yemen's critical location to shut down Red Sea traffic, you understand why the U.S. spent years backing a horrific genocidal military campaign to try to get rid of them. It's not okay for progressive Democrats to talk about how sad and bad the Gaza massacre is and how important a ceasefire is without naming Biden, as though it's some remote foreign conflict that your president is just passively witnessing instead of actively facilitating. Biden backed a genocide in Gaza, sabotaged peace negotiations in Ukraine to launch a world-threatening proxy war, And now we're all praying that he doesn't launch a new full-scale war with Hezbollah and or Ansarullah. But you're still meant to fiercely support his re-election. Bush's wars were dumb when they happened under Bush, and they're even dumber now, two decades later, as they're happening again after learning precisely nothing. Claiming to support a two-state solution that Israel has never had any intention of permitting Let's liberals pretend that they can support Israel without supporting murder, tyranny, apartheid, and abuse, and thus never need to experience any guilt or dissonance about their position. 
There's a single news story about international conflicts which keeps repeating itself again and again in different iterations. And that story is this. U.S. centralized empire fights to secure domination of planet Earth, and some populations resist this. You're seeing this story with Hamas, Hezbollah, and Ansar Allah today. That's what you've been seeing with all the standoffs with Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. That's what you see with the U.S. centralized power structure when it terrorizes nations in Latin America like Cuba, Venezuela, Bolivia, and Nicaragua. It's a giant empire attacking nations who have the temerity to insist on their own national sovereignty rather than being absorbed into the imperial blob. It uses full-scale wars, proxy conflicts, starvation sanctions and blockades, drone wars, CIA coups, and deliberately fomented color revolutions to subvert any government which defies the U.S. agenda of securing total planetary domination. If you can understand this, you can understand pretty much any major international conflict in modern times. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Do not forget to feed the pigeons. As you wage your wars, think of others. Do not forget those who fight for peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds. As you return home to your home, think of others. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you sleep and count the stars, think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. As you liberate yourself with metaphors, think of others, those who have lost their right to speak. As you think of others far away, Think of yourself and say, if only I were a candle in the night. This is for Palestine, of course, the capital Jerusalem. Unarmed people marching to the wall and they're shooting them. Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer. Long live Palestine, long live Gaza. Palestine of Quds, the capital Jerusalem. Unarmed people marching to the wall and they're shooting them. Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer. Long live Palestine, long live Gaza. All you see is war every time you turn your head and Bloodshed on the floor Mother cries, who cries for her this time it's truth between these walls See the lies between the lines They hide where the bullets coming from From the tyrants dressed in our disguise I'm gonna ride until the end Even if I got a pushback for all my friends Cause you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we not gonna stop the Palestine is free But still you know that I'm a ride until the end even if I got a pushback for all my friends Cause you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we're not gonna stop the Palestine is free Taught to not know, taught to be blind, taught to not care Tell me what's real, borderlines, military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear And if you take away your home, where's the house supposed to live? Taught to not know, taught to be blind, taught to not care Tell me what's real, borderlines, military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear And if you take away your home, where's the house supposed to live? Free, free, Palestine. 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 Free, free, Palestine.
Raheem Abutore I could resist without a wheelchair Ten year challenge, tell Reg if we are still here And tell that killer Netanyahu he should feel fear The old live through us and guarantee the children will care Criminal, not invincible and you know it Samadun, Samadun still sitting in their stoic May not feel us with you when you listen to our poems You inspire humanity, your resistance is heroic Regardless of talk, here's time we answer the call Through your strength of spirit you provide example for all How to live, how to love when attacked from the clouds above Loud and clear the songs you sung can't be drowned by the sound of guns Won't just watch your tragic times through a satellite dish The least that we can give you is an anthem like this They panic, tried to analyse and sanitise this But we love you more than ever still, Palestine lives oppression of the Palestinians, encircling of the people of Gaza, the killing of civilians, the burning of homes, the daily oppression, the theft of land, the apartheid system in the West Bank where there are two road systems, and I've been and I'm sure you have, and you see the, the, the Israeli road, you see like a, a spanking new highway with just the settler cars going backwards and forwards, then you see the old Palestinian roads, and it's clearly it's it's people living under two sets of laws, an apartheid system. So all this is being uncovered, and the boycotts and divestment and sanctions campaign, which I support and I'm sure many other people do, as a peaceful protest against the Israeli oppression. Support groups have got to keep proclaiming the rights of the Palestinians are the right to return, the right to um, the right to their homeland, really. And, um, and the theft of land is, Israel is breaking international law, it is breaking the Geneva Convention. I'm Kent Garrett. That is it for this Friday, December 22nd edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard.